Don't you love fall? Remember, remember in summer we were praying and wanting God to send cooler weather. If only, you know, just a little bit cooler and it's finally here. And, and now, has anybody turned the heater on yet? A few, few have given in. I, I had to do it one morning. It was like 55 or 56 in our house. I had to turn it on one morning, but I turned it off after it got to its spot. And, All right, that's good. Um, but, I mean, summer's past, fall's here. Winter's coming. I saw yesterday is like 65 days till Christmas. So, yay, all right. Oh, man. All right. Anyway, uh, well, uh, summer was kind of a, a time for me. I don't know if it was for Ethan as much, but a time for me just this moment as kind of a rite of passage. Uh, Ethan turned 13 over the summer, and, and uh, he was receiving birthday money. His, his birthday's in July, and, and uh, he was going to head off to youth camp again, and, and he wanted to take money with him. And even though Jamie... Uh, my wife was going. I really didn't want Ethan, a uh, 13-year-old boy, man, child, whatever, um, to have to hunt his mommy down at camp and ask for money. And because uh, and I'm pretty sure in my head once he got there that they probably wouldn't see each other very much except when they were forced to be in each other's presence. And I think, Dana, you kind of experienced that this at camp as well. Um, <clears throat> and so... He had some money, and he wanted to take with him, and he was going to start doing some stuff. And so we thought, all right, well, let's go to Walmart, and let's get you a real wallet. And for me, like I said, for me, it was like this rite of passage. I'm going to get my son, I mean, no longer Spider-Man wallet, no longer Velcro wallet. If you have a Velcro wallet, man, that's cool. You can pull it out. I cannot. Um, but so we went to good old Wally World, and we hunted down wherever they hid the wallets at, and and we were looking through them, and I thought, well, you know what, my wallet is falling apart as well, and so I'm going to get a new one, too. We're going to have this moment together. I'm sure, I'm sure as I think about this, Ethan's probably only thought, this is cool because uh, my parents are buying me something. I mean, that's probably all that was going through his head at that moment. But we picked out wallets, and we went and checked out, and, and so I went home, and he started putting what he had into his wallet. And I went home and, and had my old wallet and, and my new wallet, um, which here it's nothing fancy or anything like that, and I started going through my old wallet, which could barely hold my license anymore, and I was taking out uh, like the cards that were in it. And I don't, I don't have like credit cards, but I do have like tons of these rewards cards. Like, and there were some rewards cards I didn't even know I still had. Um, and and I understand that you probably have a lot of your stuff on your phone, like an app, and you just use that when you go to the store. But anybody wallet or, or purse just packed with cards that for rewards um, it, it's it's amazing how many we can have yet is anybody because you have a rewards card to this particular store you find yourself going to that store more than others no some of y'all are like no nah, it's just a cool card to have in my wallet I just want my wallet to look fat because I don't have any money so it's got to look fat with cards um, I find myself in particular that uh, rewards cards particularly like if if it has a good reward, I'll, I'll go to a gas station more than I'll go to other gas stations because I like whatever rewards I'm going to get. Or, you know, if I buy certain things, I get like so much off of uh, gas the next time I purchase gas. And the same goes for restaurants and, and, and department stores and things like that. If I have a rewards card, I'll find myself seeing what sort of perks I'm going to get if I shop there at that particular time. And that's why I'll go shop at that particular place. Um, and that's kind of the whole system of rewards cards. That's why companies have rewards cards, because they want us to get these cards so we become a loyal customer at their store. And so they keep driving us into that place where we can uh, be a loyal customer and build up our rewards things and, and all that. But uh, with that, I don't just kind of tell that story. I say that to set up where we're going this morning is that we understand loyalty. Uh, we understand being loyal to people. We understand being loyal to restaurants. We understand being loyal to places that uh, businesses to service. Sometimes our loyalty is because we like the staff, we like the service, we like the food, or we may know the owner. Sometimes we're loyal to sports teams to a fault, right? Sometimes some of y'all are loyal to certain brands of cars. You're a Ford or Chevy person or whatever. You're even a certain type of vehicle, a truck over a uh, SUV or whatever and so we're loyal to certain things we're loyal to shoes I've been finding myself the last several years 
as I've been knowing I'm getting older, I want to continue to, you know, try to be movable as I as I continue to age. And so I become loyal to a particular brand of shoe. Does anybody anybody do that? Or I, I'm always going to wear this type of shoe because it, it just find I find support where I need support <laughs> type of thing, right? And so I, I that's when we go to the shoe store. I always go to where that particular brand of shoe is if if I'm going to be buying a new shoe. And we do this because we feel like these things are going to benefit us in some way. They provide some resource that we feel something else doesn't give us, or we've just had good success in our past with this particular product, so we tend to continue to go back to that product. Um, but have you ever thought why in the world you're loyal to the things you're loyal to? It, it may be out of habit. You may just go to particular places because that's where you go during the week, and you just have this schedule ritual going on in your head, but... I imagine there's places we go to that we're loyal to because we feel we get something from that. We feel that it benefits us or our family. And as we get ready to wrap up Joshua, which we're going to be doing here in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be Joshua chapter 23. If you want to make your way there in your tablet phone, if you have a physical copy of the Bible, uh, Joshua's in the Old Testament. Um, it's right before Judges. And uh, we're going to be walking through chapter 23 this morning, and then for the next couple of weeks we're going to be breaking up chapter 24. But chapter 23 and chapter 24 are really linked together. They're, they're the final commissions and charges that Joshua is going to be giving the people of Israel because he's become aware, not only probably his body, body's telling him, but God has told him that his time is coming to a close. His time as the leader of the people of Israel is getting to draw to an end. Joshua is going to eventually die. And so in chapter 23, he's really focused on the leadership within Israel. He's speaking directly to them. In chapter 24, he turns his attention to all the people of Israel. So what we have in chapter 23 is the closest thing we have in all of Joshua's life of passing the baton of leadership. If you read through Genesis, that's kind of what the blessings are. You know, Abraham blessed Isaac, and Isaac blessed Jacob, and it kind of goes down the line. Well, Moses blessed Joshua in being the new, the new leader of Israel. But there isn't one particular individual who rises up to the occasion to take Joshua's position of leadership. But chapter 23 kind of focused that Joshua is giving it to the leaders, the elders, the, uh, the officers, the, the judges, the, uh, the heads of the tribes of Israel that they're going to take up. Now, I can't imagine what is going through Joshua's head at this time. You know, when, when life starts to draw to a close or we have loved ones that tend to pass away, we, we go to a time of reminiscing, right? We, we think about those times that we had and the laughters. We go through pictures and remind those things. And can you imagine what we going through Joshua's head in this time where he knows that he's getting ready to, to pass away and all the experiences he's had? Joshua was with Israel when they were in Egypt in slavery. He experienced the Lord coming and bringing Moses and speaking and the plagues. He experienced the Red Sea crossing. He experienced the, the water from rocks and the, the bread from the heavens. He experienced the presence of God engulfing Mount Sinai. He experienced Moses' radiant face where the people asked Moses to cover it up because it scared them so much. He experienced Israel's rebellion. He experienced Israel's victories. He experienced the Red Sea crossing and the building of the tabernacle and, and the Jordan crossing. And, and he experienced the battles within the conquest of the promised land and, and wars that were fought and won without a weapon being drawn. And if we looked at Joshua's life and what he went through, I imagine a lot of us would envy parts of it. I mean, not everything was nice and easy. Not everything was smooth. Not everything was enjoyable for Joshua. But the things he got to experience and what God was doing in his life and around his life and in God's people's lives, man, it would have just been amazing to see. And as he's coming to the end of his life and realizing that he's not going to continue in the leadership role, he's not going to continue with these people in the next step of the journey, he wants to prepare them as much as possible for remaining focused and remaining loyal to God. If you want a theme for chapter 23 and chapter 24, the overall theme is a relational loyalty to God. So let's read chapter 23. We're going to walk through that section this morning. And then, like I said, next couple of weeks we'll deal with chapter 24. 
And the word of the Lord says, chapter 23, verse 1 of the book of Joshua. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes these, those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Verse 6, Therefore be very strong to keep all to do that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord your God has driven out before, your great, out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you, one man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. Verse 14, And now I am about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you, not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until He has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which He commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that He has given to you. Let's pray together. Father, Your Word promises that You are here. We stand on the promise that where two or more gather in Your name, You're here. And so, Father, I pray that it would be just a mercy and a blessing from You that we would experience Your presence, that Your Spirit, through Your spoken Word, we invade our hearts. Father, we would see what you're, you're saying to Joshua and what Joshua is saying to your people and what you're trying to say to us today in 2019 through this passage. Father, I pray as you open up the scriptures to your disciples that you would grant us that mercy here this morning. That it would be you alone to be glorified. It would be you alone that we know we are hearing from not from another man, not from a preacher, but, Father, from you. So let my words be pleasing to you. Father, I just ask in this moment that you use me as an instrument of your righteousness, that you alone are lifted high, that you alone are proclaimed, that you alone are encountered. I think for everyone here this morning, I think through what you want to do in their life, in their hearts, in their families. We pray for those who can't be with us this morning. We ask you just to be with them and place a stirring upon their heart, desire to be back with their brothers and sisters in Christ, a desire to be back in your presence to worship you. So guide and lead us, be our shepherd, Father, through this passage, that we may understand what you're saying, and not what we want it to say. Give, forgive me where I failed you. Forgive us as we come into your holiness. And pray us all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's mentioned Joshua chapter 23, and then in chapter 24 can be considered Joshua's last words or his dying words. He's fully aware that his time is coming to a close. God has reminded him of that in chapter 13 of Joshua. Joshua kind of reiterates that here in, in verse 1, and then when he speaks to the people in verse 2, it's that connection to chapter 13. So when we begin in chapter 23, and it says a long time afterward, we're kind of given a very general time stamp. We don't exactly know what this time is referring to. It's either referring to the long time after Joshua has allotted the land, 
or it's referring to the time when the conquest has begin, began, which is most likely that. Um, it's believed that the conquest took anywhere from seven to some say as many as 30 years to, to fully conquer the land and drive the people out. Um, but we're unsure. I think the best estimate is about seven. But Joshua comes to these people and he says, not only that he's old and advanced in years, but the Lord has given you rest there in the passage. The word rest means that the battle, the physical fighting is done. And now the spiritual battle is to begin. So the overall theme of chapter 23, as Joshua gives these last words, is, okay, now that the Lord has fought these battles for you, now that He has given the victory, who now are you going to be relationally loyal to? Are you going to be loyal to God in His ways, or are you going to be loyal to the world in its ways? And we can find our same situation within this passage as we too are standing in the victory of a battle that has been fought for us and won through Jesus Christ. The Bible says when we place our faith in Jesus Christ and His death and resurrection, that we become children of God, we become heirs to the eternal kingdom of God, that the battle over sin has been won, that we are given the peace and rest and strength of Jesus Christ. But once we do that, once we accept Jesus Christ, the Bible also lets us know we no longer have the physical battle, but we enter into the spiritual battle. Who are we going to be loyal to? Who are we going to show our loyalty to in this world? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So as we walk through chapter 23, I want to break it down into four different sections of focus. The very first focus of chapter 23 is to remember what God promised. Joshua summons the leaders there in verse 2, all its elders, its heads, its judges, and its officers. And he begins by reminding them what God has done for them. In verse 3, he says, You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to you. That word seen means you have witnessed this. You have personally witnessed what God has been doing for you. And so he reminds these leaders who are going to lead this nation after he passes of the great things that God has done and how God has brought them to this place. It says, for the Lord your God has fought for you. He wants to remind them the Lord did it all. It wasn't because of your righteousness. It wasn't because of your goodness. It was because of God's promises. It was because of God's covenant that you stand in this place this morning, at this place today, that God is reminding you now, remember what He has done because He's pushing you on to the future. We have to remember the promises of God. The Lord fights, the Lord drives, the Lord strengthens His people. And most importantly, the Lord keeps His promises. It begins with loyalty to God. So Joshua first points to God's loyalty to His people that was established through the covenant relationship that He gave to Abraham. It leads to the second area of focus. Not just only what God promised, but what God promises. Verse 5 of chapter 23 is all future tense. The Lord your God will push them back before you and will drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess the land just as the Lord your God promised you. Joshua is telling the leaders that there's still work to be done. Even though he is having to step aside, there's still work to be done within the land, and the Lord is going to do it. The strength does not come from who they think they are or what they can accomplish, but upon what the Lord is going to do through them. And in order to move forward, they have to remember what God has already done. In the third section of chapter 23, it's the longest section of the entire chapter, and it's a section dealing with what God's people are to promise God. It's the call of our part in this relationship that we have with God today. Within this section, there are, there are three positives and two negative commands altogether. Joshua reminds the leaders of God's faithfulness, reminds them of his loyalty. He reminds them of his continued faithfulness or his continued loyalty so they can understand that God's faithfulness commands their faithfulness. Or in better words, God's loyalty to us commands our loyalty to God. A lot of what is said in verses 6 through 12 is similar to what Joshua has already said to the two and a half tri tribes that have gone across to the other side of the Jordan River. It is a Deuteronomic emphasis calling the people of God to be loyal to the Word of God. Verse 6 of chapter 23 is tied to the opening of the book of Joshua. In Joshua 1, verse 7, 
Joshua is told a very similar statement of being strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law, not turning to the right hand or to the left. And what we learn is that our relationship with God and what He's done in the past and where He's taken us in the future and the ability to overcome that are completely reliant upon the Word of God. The Bible refers to God's Word as the sword of the Spirit. Meaning what we hold here, whether it's on your phone or your tablet or the physical representation of God, is not just words on a screen. It's not just words on a page. It's words that God has spoken to transform us and lead us to where He wants us to go. So Joshua tells the people in verse 8, You shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. That word cling is a very similar word that Joshua used before with the two and a half tribes. It means to hold tight. It means to hold fast. It means to hug and to to not let go, to have to be torn away from God. Joshua says that the promise is when we cling to God, we will see God doing the fighting for us, God strengthening us, and God taking care of our battles or our future enemies. And then Joshua says in verse 11, another positive command, you shall love the Lord your God. This command is tied to Deuteronomy chapter 6, known as the Shema. It's one of the greatest commandments. It's the one that Jesus quotes when asked, what is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And so Joshua says to love your Lord your God, but we need to stop here for a second because we say we love just about anything and everything. About this time of year, Jamie loves soup. She loves it when I make soup. You know, here in a couple months, I'm going to love it when our small group gets together and we're going to have pizza and hot wings and food to watch the Super Bowl. I'm going to love Thanksgiving because I love just eating to my full and passing out on the couch. We love social gatherings. We love food. And there's particular types of food we love. We love ice cream. We love this. We love that. We love some of the restaurants and the places we go that we're loyal to. We love people. We love movies. We love cars. We love certain times of the years. Uh, We love certain types of people. When we come to the scriptures, what we've got to understand about love is this is not the way God uses love. Love in scripture is never an emotional word. Love in scripture is an action. It is an action to be seen. When Joshua tells the people to love the Lord your God, he is saying you need to be relationally loyal to God, relationally loyal to God's word, and relationally loyal to God's calling. God's calling is what we sometimes refer to in in the church as God's will. It's his kingdom. It's what he wants to do. So when we as Harvest Hill say that we love God and we love people, what we are stating is that we are loyal to what God wants to do in the community of Stratford and around through the work of Harvest Hill. And that we want people, as our heartbeat says, to meet Jesus, mature in their relationship with God, be on ministry for the kingdom of God, and to multiply by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is our goal. And it's not just something we can say. Joshua is not telling the people of God here in this moment that you need to say that you love God or that you are in love with God. He's saying that your love for God will be evident because it is an action to be seen by the world. It is not an emotional response. It is a physical action that people are able to witness. It's what the Bible says and refers to as our our fruit. It's the salt and light that we put out in this world. It's our calling to be an ambassador for Christ. It's when we love God and we love people, it is seen. It's not based upon emotion. I can be completely irritated with somebody, but I can still love them. It's the way God commands me to. Joshua also delivers some negatives. Verse 7, he says, do not mix with these nations. That word mix means not to associate, but it's it's strictly into the, the confines of marriage or some sort of intimate relationship. And the reason for this, Joshua lays out, is because there's a temptation when we mix with people who are not God's people, that we will be pulled away from our loyalty to God, our relationship with Him. Joshua says that you you are not to pray to them. You are not to make promises to their gods. You are not to worship or prostrate before their gods. What God's Word reveals to us is relationships impact our actions. We refer to it as peer pressure today. Every relationship we have with an individual impacts our actions. It impacts our words. It impacts our thoughts. It impacts how we show our loyalty or our love to God. 
That's why it's important for us to have the right people in our life. There are people in our life that are either pushing us towards God or pulling us away from God. That leads to the final focus of chapter 23, and that's what will happen if God's people break their promise to God. It begins in verse 12 through verse 13. For if you and if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations, meaning you hold to them more than you hold to God, and make marriages with them, so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain, know without a doubt, that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, which actually happens in Judges chapter 2, verse 3. But they will be a snare and a trap for you and a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes. It's one of the most illustrative verses in verse 13. It says, if you begin associating with people who are not God's people, if you begin to have these intimate relationships with them, you will become like an animal, a prey being caught. You will have pain, physical pain in your life. That's the whip on your sides. You will have thorns in your eyes. You will be blinded and unable to see things as they truly are, and you will perish. You will die. It will lead to your destruction. For where God has placed you, you will be removed from that. It's a foreshadowing of what happens in 2 Kings chapter 25 when the Babylonians come and take Israel into captivity. Joshua says this is why this is going to happen is when you cling to something other than God, it will be your destruction. You are to be relationally loyal to God. He makes the double emphasis beginning in verse 15. Just as all the good things the Lord your God has promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If, if, that's a huge if. Saying this is your choice. You're going to choose whether, who you're going to be loyal to. You're going to choose who you're going to love and cling after. But if you do not choose God and choose the world, you will transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which He command you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly off of the good land that He has given you. That's a huge statement made by Joshua. God is telling the covenantal people of God that God is not going to make a distinction or lower His level of accountability simply because you are His people. He's going to hold you just as accountable as He's held these people that you have driven off this land and you have destroyed and been devoted to destruction. If you live the way they live, God will destroy you. Oh, happy day. Thanks, Joshua, right? You can go ahead and go your own way now. But Joshua wants Israel to know As he's getting ready to die, there's only one or two ways this is going to go. To your ultimate blessing or to your ultimate destruction. And the if is, if God's people will remain obedient to God, they will continue to live in the great blessings of God. But if God's people choose to be disobedient, they will receive God's great destruction. The main theme, again, of chapter 22 is relational loyalty. The choice now as Joshua's getting ready to step aside is who will God's people choose to serve? Who will they love and who will they cling to? Will they cling to a God who has fulfilled His promises and promises to do more in His ways and His holiness? Or will they cling to and love the world and its ways and its sinful ways, which they have seen how God views that. But it's a choice. It's the same choice we have this morning. Who are we going to be loyal to in our lives? Are we going to be loyal to the God who gives us His promises through His Word? We've seen His promises fulfilled in our life, and He promises future blessings in our life? Or are we going to be loyal to the world around us who traps and ensnares us and blinds us and leads us down the path of destruction? Why don't you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 real quick. 2 Corinthians is in the New Testament. If you don't have a tablet or phone, you can't go to that little book reference. You have to turn pages. So, um, 2 Corinthians is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 5 because Paul, the apostle, is led by the Holy Spirit to use a very similar format that Joshua does in Joshua chapter 23. Beginning in verse 16 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 
says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, or we see no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This, verse 17, this is who we are. Verse 16, and how we are to see things by our relationship in Jesus Christ. Go on to verse 18 of chapter 5. All this is from God. It wasn't our doing. It wasn't our plan of action. We didn't think this up. God thought this up from the very beginning. Who through Christ reconciled or made us back in harmony with God. When you read reconciled, we are now in harmony with God. Reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Otherwise, we are given the ministry to bring other people into harmony with God. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So not just me and not just you, but he wants to reconcile the entire world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us, the people of God, the message of reconciliation. So we see this is what God has promised, and this is what God promises. God wants reconciliation. He wants people to be back in harmony with Him the way He created them to be, to be in that relationship, to be loyal to Him. Go to verse 20. Therefore, we, God's people, are ambassadors for Christ, meaning we are representatives of Christ and His reconciliation, God making His appeal through us, meaning it's not on us to do it. Hear that? God is making His appeal through us because He lives inside of us. It's not about our words, or our strength, or our intelligence. It's God doing the work. He says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake He made Him to be, no, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God, working together with Him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. This is what we are to promise God. Okay, God, you have reconciled me to yourself by nothing I could do on my own because I was in my trespass and my sin, but by your grace and by your power through Jesus Christ, I'm now your child, I'm now your ambassador, and so my promise is that I am going to allow you to use me to bring other people into a reconciled relationship with you. That's our promise of salvation. It's not just, God, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. It's like, it's now that God that I know that I was once lost but am saved, I want to get about your plan and your will, and I want to bring other people into this incredible relationship that I have with you. My first uh, full-time youth ministry, I, we had a disciple now, just like the youth are having one in a couple weeks, and I brought in one of my college buddies to do the message because the youth always heard from me, so I thought, well, I'll bring someone in. And so all weekend long, we had activities and worship times and stuff going on. And on Sunday morning, we had Sunday school Bible studies. Some of y'all remember those, those times in church um, where we were sitting around and we were just having a Q&A type time where they could ask uh, my friend. His name is Chris. Um, he's a pastor up in Sedalia right now. Um, they could ask him questions. And it was kind of one of those awkward moments. If you ever worked with youth, you know, there's awkward silence moments where you feel like, OK, nothing's really going to happen and nothing's going to be said. And so Chris took the initiative to ask the questions, which wasn't my goal, but it started to work. Unfortunately, he asked a girl within that youth ministry who rarely came, and I knew who her parents were, were not on my side. He asked her, of all people, I mean, we had like 60 kids there that day, but he asked her, what does it mean to you to be saved? And she responded, what I think most of us will respond, it means I'm going to heaven. It means hell's not an option. And I thought, well, that's good, because I didn't really know where she was spiritually, because, you know, she's kind of on the outskirts. And so Chris replies, is that all? And that really got me to think, I was like, wow, is that all I want in my salvation? What else is, in the, is supposed to be in this relationship with God? Is it just about my own personal benefit of salvation? According to Christ, according to Scripture, it's God saved me so He can use me to save others, to bring them in this relationship with Him. Unfortunately, this girl and her mother on Monday morning didn't see that, it that way. And so I got a wonderful phone call, which I don't know if Jason, you've ever gotten those wonderful morning Monday morning phone calls. Um, 
But there's a danger there. I think Joshua saw that if the Israel's, Israelites got into the land and thought, okay, we finally made it. We've, we've, we've done what we're supposed to do. We can just relax. And we can do that with our own salvation. Well, I've already done what I'm supposed to do. I've already prayed the prayer. I've walked the aisle. I've been baptized in the water. And I show up to church. I'm already doing what I'm supposed to be doing. We really miss it all. See, when I enter into a relationship with God, I enter into the promises that He has spoken from eternity. In that relationship, I am speaking promises back to Him that I am joining you, God, now in what you want to do through me in this world. Like Joshua, Paul is led to move to this whole idea of relationship. Jump to verse 14 of chapter 6. Just do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what is what partnership is righteousness with lawlessness? And what fellowship is light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a true does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate, separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, verse 1 of chapter 7, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord, in the fear of God. Now, in Joshua, there's some pretty strong warnings, and those warnings really aren't as strong right here on face value, but the same lessons from Joshua can be applied here. The Bible does not say that we should not associate with unbelievers, meaning we, should, we can be co-workers with them. They can be within our sports teams. They, uh, we can communicate with them and talk with them. They can be our Facebook buddies. But in Joshua and in 2 Corinthians, where Paul's letter writes, the understanding is that the people who are in a covenant relationship with God, even though they are surrounded by people who are not in that relationship, they have to be very careful on the ties they make with people outside the relationship with God. There's a strong focus on relationships in Joshua 23 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5-7. through 7. Now, as a Christian man, who's married to a Christian woman, and my wife's not here this morning. Um, pray for her. Uh, she's driving up. Her, her grandmother is, is probably going to pass this week. So uh, I appreciate your prayers, but um, I don't want to really worry about some of these aspects that Paul is led to write the believers in 1 Corinthians and those relationships. But I have learned firsthand before I met Jamie, that it is easier for an unbeliever to pull a believer away from God than it is for a believer to pull an unbeliever to God. It is easier for an unbeliever to pull me down to their level than for me to pull them up to my level, particularly in the confines of relationships. Why? What do relationships require? Loyalty. They require loyalty. Whether it's a friend or someone we are boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. And we want to be loyal to God as God's people. The problem we wrestle with is we also don't want to hurt someone else's feelings whom we love. We want to be loyal to them too. And since, here's the battle, since we can't physically see God's face when we break our loyalty to him but we can to the person whom we love we will choose them more often than god because there's an immediate reaction but this is why love and scripture is not an emotional term it is an action term for those of us who are married this passage may not have as much relevance but it should for us who have kids or grandkids to sit down with our kids and say, look, God has released you from the majority of your dating pool. Honestly. And it's not that God doesn't love you. It's not that God doesn't want the best for you. But God knows those relationships 
rarely go in the right direction. They will end in pain. They will end in arguments. They, if they get to the point of marriage, a lot of times those marriages end in divorce because people are not on the same page. And Paul captures this with this phrase in verse 14, to be unequally yoked. What Paul does is he takes a term from agriculture that people that read this letter would understood. It's when two oxen are going to be harnessed or yoked together to pull a plow. They have to be of equal strength so the lines in the field will be straight. They didn't have tractors or anything like that. So the oxen would pull the plow and you'd plant the seeds in a straight line. If one oxen is stronger than the other, you got drunk looking oxen because they're going all crooked and back and forth and you're not being able to plant as much as you could, right? So Paul says this idea should be applied to our relationships. If we're in a relationship that is not equally yoked in terms of being a relationship with God, it is only going to lead to struggle. Why does God emphasize relationships so much? Because God created you and me for a relationship. He didn't create us to show up on Sunday morning, though I'm glad you're here. He didn't create us to be a, membership, be a member at a church, though I'm glad some of you are. He created us first and foremost, to be in a relationship with Him. And all other relationships that we have in life are to flow from that relationship. But the danger in Joshua 23 is we can flip it. That those relationships actually begin to regulate my relationship with God. And God warns them in 23 that that will lead to disaster. So he's calling his people in 23, and, and Paul's writing to the believers here in Corinth, that God has called us to be separate, distinct, or the word is sanctified. And that includes people that we're very close to. You're, you, you may be married, you may be in a relationship with someone. But the people you're close with, the people that you share your life with, where are they in their relationship with? Are they leading you to God, pushing you to God, or are they pulling you away from God? And, and they could be a Christian and still pull you away from God. I've had believers, I've had ministers in my life that have impacted me in ways for a period of time that they actually pulled me away from seeking after God. So titles don't matter. The Bible warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. Relationships, all relationships impact us in one or two ways. They either lead us and push us to godliness or they lead us and push us to ungodliness. That's exactly what Joshua is telling the, the Israelites in chapter 23. Your relationship with God and your relationship with this world is either going to lead you to more blessings and more promises of God or it's going to lead you to destruction and away from where God wants you to be. But God has called us to be distinct, separate, sanctified. Some of our younger believers, you may need to start looking at your relationship with people if you're not married and ask yourself, should I be in this relationship? Are they pushing me to God, the God who loves me? Parents, we may need to start looking at some relationships our kids are in. Is it a relationship that is pushing them to God? Are we willing to be the bad guy in that? If you're married and you know that you're not equally yoked spiritually, too late. <laughs> it's too late. The Bible instructs us if we're married to someone who is not a Christian or not a believer or is not pursuing after God, we are to remain married to them and perhaps they will see by our conduct, by our love for God, our actions, and they will come to a place of repentance. But here's a lesson from Joshua 23 and 2 Corinthians is that our success as God's people is contingent upon our relationship with God. We as a church will only go as far as our relationship with God is. You as a family will only go as far as your relationship with God is. We as people in our workplace will only be as successful as, as successful as our relationship with God is. Everything is contingent upon that. So our question this morning for God's people is how is my relationship with God? Now don't Here's the danger when I ask these questions because we can say, well, man, someone should really be here. I wish so-and-so was here to hear that message, that question. If they're not, you are. 
how is your relationship with God? You may be in a moment where things are feeling off. Is there something in my relationship with God, a promise that I've given to God that I've broken? And so it's causing, just like in our, our face-to-face relationships, it causes a disharmony. In Joshua chapter 23, the layout is, remember what God has promised. Remember what God promises. And then remember what we as God's people are to promise God. What if you're here today and you're not a believer? Well, back in Joshua 23, Joshua says, look, there's only one or two ways this is going to go. It's going to go really good or really bad. And Jesus said the exact same thing. See, all of us here this morning in life only have one or two places to go. To presence and blessings of God or to ultimate destruction. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus laid it out like this. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The Bible later says, and Jesus later speaks of himself as the gate. Meaning that all life, all blessings, all the things that we desire can only be found through Jesus Christ. And if we do not have Jesus Christ and he is not front and center of our life, we are only heading to destruction because that's what Satan's tactic is. To kill, steal, and destroy you. But God doesn't want that for your life. You may be here this morning and you need to begin a relationship with God. That's what he's created you for. You may be here this morning and your relationship with God is off. But his spirit is reminding you, okay, there are some things that I should be doing that I haven't been doing and promising God. Maybe you're here this morning and there's a relationship in your life you know that you need to cut out. I had to make that decision when I was about 19 years of age. God got a hold of my heart. And it's still a decision that I struggle with today because because um, good old Facebook. Um, but at the age of 17, 18, 19, I started hanging out with my buddies, you know, I, I, all through high school. And um, they were not leading me to God. But I love, they're my, I mean, we were the guys, right? You might have the gals, but we were the guys. We were always together. And so we would never say, hey, man, I love you. You know, we, I mean, well, maybe like at 3 in the morning after certain beverages we would, but not, not like in normal circumstances. When God got a hold of my heart and realized that I was not living in the promise that he called me to, I immediately knew I had to cut ties with the guys. And I spent six years with the guys. And that was the hardest decision I ever had to make. But I also knew I wasn't strong enough to be with the guys because they would pull me back into where I was. And it still impacts me this day because I see the guys on Facebook getting together and doing things and I don't get invites too often. And so that hurts because I physically see that. But then on the flip side of the guys, four of them since graduated, high school and since I finally came back to Christ, four of them have come to know Jesus Christ and are serving at their church or going on mission trips. And so I'm seeing God work by a very tough decision I made. And maybe you're here this morning and there's a tough decision you have to life in your life about cutting ties with certain people because they're not leading you to God. They're not helping you in that relationship. And so you've got to make that choice. What am I going to be loyal to in this moment? The God who loves me more than I can ever imagine and understand on this side of eternity. The people who struggle with sin just like I do. Trust me, it's for your benefit that you do. The minor of chapter 23 and 24 of Joshua is that Joshua, even though it's all great things and God doing this, he eventually is going to die because he was a sinner. And that's what sin does. If we're still in our sin, we'll be cut away from God for eternity. That's why God wants a relationship with you. That's why Jesus Christ died for you. That's why he rose again. If you're here this morning and you need God's forgiveness, you need Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, I'm going to invite you to come. Jackson's going to come lead us. Maybe you're here this morning because there are some people that have specifically popped in your head. You see their faces. You know their names. And you know God is telling you you need to cut ties with them for a while. 
you're scared half to death. Maybe you need to come and kneel before the Father and pray for Him to give you the strength just as He strengthened Israel to do what they needed to do. Trust me, it's for your blessing and benefit. We're going to pray together. Have a time of invitation. I'm going to invite you to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for that you care about these parts of our life that we think are just, you know, day-to-day goings and happenings. But you know, Lord, our heart can attach itself to people and places that are not for your glory. They're not a part of your plan and your promise and where you want us to be. And Father, everyone in this room, including myself, we struggle with loyalty and love for you and love for people. And we know that you call us to love people and to share your love to people. But you also warn us to be careful on how we associate and mix with them. Father, forgive me when I have not pursued godliness. Forgive us as your people. This time is place we want to come to a time of invitation to not just be hearers of your word, but doers. I pray for those here this morning, Lord, that you know are not yours. They do not belong to you. They're not your child, but you want them desperately to be. Father, when we stand, that they would just walk down the aisle and let it be known they want to be saved. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ right now who know people in their life that are not for their good. Father, your spirit would strengthen them and give them a peace about cutting ties, about stepping back, about focusing on their relationship with you first and foremost. We are weak. Our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. Give us the strength we need in this moment. Pray this time would be a time that continues to glorify you in spirit and truth. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I invite you to stand. I invite you to come. If you need someone to pray with you, I'd love to do that. Jason's going to come down here too if you'd like to pray with him or someone else to talk to. You're the center of the universe Everything was made in you Jesus Breath of every living thing Everyone was made for you So you hold You hold everything together You hold everything Christ, be the center of our lives, be the place we fix our eyes, be the center of our lives. You're the center of the universe, everything was made in of every living thing everyone was made for you you hold you hold everything together you hold everything together oh Christ be the center of our lives be the place we Fix our eyes, be the center of our lives. Sing that again. Oh Christ, be the center of our lives, be the place we fix our eyes, be the center of our lives.
God reminded me, I, I meant to say that those four that came to Christ reached out to me through those social medias and remembered that time I stepped away and remembered why, even though it made them mad, but they came to me and started asking, so I got to have a part in leading them to Christ. But, so I uh, actually got to help one of them marry a girl that was in uh, the first Youth for Christ ministry I was over. And they were only three years apart, don't worry. I mean, like, <laughs> weird like that. But anyway, um, so, and got to help them with some premarital counseling stuff. So uh, it's, it was worth it. Um, but we, we've got some things going on. And I also hear Richard. I hear Richard in my head a lot. Do you hear Richard in your head a lot? He's your dad. But this doesn't mean we, we don't reach out to the world in love of Christ. It means our loyalty is first to him. And that's what moves us and reaching out and bringing people to Christ. So um, I want to make sure that's understood. But um, We've got things that are coming up to reach out to this community. Trunk or Treat's coming up in about a week and a half. Um, and so I just want to encourage you, if you can't be here, we're going to start at 6, go to about 7.30, 8 o'clock, really until the candy runs out is when we usually cut it off. But um, if you can't be here, um, there's a tub. As you walk out, there's a tub. It has a thing that says Trunk or Treat on it. If you'd like to bring candy in just to donate it, we're always running candy around and make sure we have enough to give uh, candy out. Um, if you can, um, we don't want it to be just on one family, though if you want it to be one family, that's fine, go for it. But uh, round some people up uh, that God has placed in your life uh, to work together uh, to be a part of that. So you don't have to even decorate your car because uh, the kids are more interested in what you're you know, giving them as far as sugar. So, uh, but if you want to, go ahead. Uh, but that's coming up. We have Church Bonfire coming up, which is in a couple weeks in November. There's a sign-up somewhere. Uh, I think it's on the table under Multiply for uh, types of foods to bring out to that. Um, we do this every year. It's always a great time. Uh, it's a very, uh, I don't know, it's, it's a very easy night to invite people who may not come to church on Sunday morning to come to. Say, hey, our church is just, we're going to eat, we're going to hang out, um, and uh, we're going to have fire. And so it's cool. Um, and so maybe you want to invite, what, what's that? Fire. Big fire brought to you by Jet Fuel. Um, <laughs> but uh, but that's, that's just a way to invite people to come and maybe to just to see that we as God's people aren't crazy. Um, and maybe that would be the door that opens for them. So that's coming up. There's a sign up for that. There is uh, Disciple Now coming up for youth. Uh, used to be AKA Converge Weekend. Um, but Jason's going to be looking for homes. I, I, you're still looking for homes, right? Yes. yes. Um, so. Yes. Uh, what weekend? That's the. Yeah. So. Uh, so if you're interested and you'd like more clarification on dates, find Jason. Looking for at least four homes, uh, and your responsibility is just to open your home and let. Teenagers plop in different places. Um, food is provided, correct? Um, and uh, we can figure out transportation if that is an issue. Um, so if that's something you feel led to do. Operation Christmas Child is going on as well. There's information. There's even some tubs back there under the mission uh, thing, if you'd like. Um, lots of stuff going on. So am I forgetting anything? Men's Prayer in the morning, 615 Common Grounds. SOS tonight, 630 uh, here at the church. Um, Oh, leadership, leadership team. Um, here, we were going to have a leadership team meeting. If you are a head of a ministry, uh, like Jason's head of youth and uh, things like that, here's what the meeting is going to be about. By next month, if, if you have something specific for your budget, we need to have that in hand within the next couple of weeks because uh, we're going to be developing the budget and voting on the budget here very soon. And so if, if there's a specific amount you know you need, we're going to need that and kind of broken down so we can make that decision appropriately because we're going to have to uh, look at that. So that's what the meeting is going to be about. Um, and uh, so we don't need to wait five or ten minutes afterwards. Right, Charlie? Absolutely. So, amen. Get her, get her done. Um, let's pray, and we're going to do our uh, tithes and offerings time to give back to the Lord what he's given us. So um, if I could have a couple of our deacons help out with that, I'd appreciate that. Oh, that's another thing. Deacons, we're meeting next Sunday after church. Um, and uh, plan to stay for a little while, so maybe let your spouses know they should drive separately. So, just a heads up. Sorry. Um, but anyway, if our deacons can help us with tithes and offerings, we appreciate it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Lord, thank you that you care. 
about every aspect of our life. There's not a thing in our life that is hidden from your sight. Uh, Lord, and, and though we may not fully understand why at times, we know it is for our good. So Lord, help us to trust you as we trust you in this moment with these tithes and with these offerings that it will go to the glory of your kingdom and you will do what you want to have done with them. Father, we thank you that you provide us as a church exactly what we need to do the ministry you've called us to do. And we just thank you for that. Thank you for everyone here this morning. Thank you for what you're doing in everyone's hearts, how you're working individually and corporately together as a whole. And we praise you for that work that only you can do. Be with us as we leave this place. And Lord, we know you are. But guide and lead us to where you need us to be that we can continue to glorify you in the places we find ourselves. Forgive us if we failed you in any way and praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.